And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave Dufour and that means it's Nerder, she wrote. Seth Partnow is clapping into the screen and Mo Dekeel is also here. What's up, guys? What's up, Dave and Seth? I don't know why it feels like I missed you. It feels like a long time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I talked to you it guys. It was a long up. basketball week. It was a long week for basketball. There's been so much stuff going on. You know, the Lakers just completely tanking out of the play-in. The Spurs making the play-in. I just uh, want the, to, the Memphis uh, Grizzlies. I just want to note the um, the perfection of the NCAA tournament ending with the team, in fact, needing a three after for three weeks. Nothing but the announcer saying <laughs> they, don't they don't need a three, three here. here. They for folks, three. for folks who don't really know. It's just that Seth is so annoyed with the announcers. It has nothing to do with the game played. That's one thing. But if you ever want to see Seth riled up in March, just look for an NCAA game that's close down the stretch and take a shot whenever the announcer says the team doesn't need a three here because you just know Seth somewhere is pulling his hair out. Well, the truth is that they didn't need a three there. They needed a three five minutes ago. Right, like that's that's what it is. You don't want to be running a last second play for a three. Yeah. They needed to make a shot. Period. They couldn't make a shot. Hey, I don't want to pile on, but I don't know, man. College basketball. I, I just wish that um, the coaches weren't so rigid. College I would like to see sucks. what. Let's just start yeah, there. I, the coaching there sucks. Know. It does. It, it's not very creative, certainly, and and also coaching dominated stuff just isn't. I don't know. That messes with with my sort of sentiments as a coach it's not about the coach it's about the players and and it feels like college basketball the coach is the personality right like that's the guy who's going to make 25 million dollars or whatever the ridiculous salaries that these people have to coach college basketball but i i, I don't i'm not a big fan of that um, so here before we move on because it's nerder i'm gonna get nerdy um so there's in sports there's sort of a, a sine wave of which is uh, of you know um, structure versus quality, and at at like beginner level basketball, it sucks, and there's no uh, there's 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 no structure. Um, NCAA men's basketball right now is at the kind of the the peak of that curve in terms of where as quality increases, the structure will start to drop away, and the NBA has has moved all the way to the right of that, and that's just to what you're saying. That's not the best aesthetic spot for it to have these, you know, 50 year old control freaks gripping the game yeah, I mean, listen, as tightly as possible. This isn't to say that you can't wring more out of lesser players with a system that's rigid. I mean, you certainly can, but 
basketball is an art. And I think that it at its best, if you're a coach, you're handing them the paintbrush and the paint, and you're letting them go out and paint, and you basically are providing the canvas. And I'm not necessarily going to draw all the lines on there. I want to see what you come up with. And I think that's how you foster better basketball players. Well, you, know, you know what coach in the in the tournament got more with lesser players was Shaheen Holloway, and that was the team that had the most – you know, they weren't necessarily pro players aside from maybe Casey and Defo, which we can talk about later. But they ran the most pro offense of any team in the tournament that I saw. And, and it's like, OK, well, you just have guys let, let them play basketball and good things will happen. All right, that's enough college basketball. Oh, talk, sorry, fellas. Yeah, Let's go. We're done. Yeah, you're we're right, done. You're right. We're done. We were done. By um, the way, I was done two <laughs> minutes ago. But you guys well, kept talking. All right. <laughs> hey, here's here. Now there are a bunch of teams in the NBA that kind of look like you know maybe high level college basketball teams. You know, we've got a lot of tanking teams, Mo, and I know you love the tank. Um, but the truth is, even the bad teams right now and the young teams, they're playing so hard and really playing well. I mean, we just got to highlight a lot of these teams that, like, Detroit. Detroit has been playing their asses off, really, since the All-Star break. It hasn't necessarily resulted in wins, but they have given teams scares, right? Like, they've been in there fighting and battling. It's going to go a long way for them. Cade Cunningham's coming into his own. Killian Hayes is playing. Like, just a lot of good stuff there is going on. And that's how you build momentum towards next season. Same thing for Orlando. Orlando with a nice win over Cleveland, a win that Cleveland really needed. Orlando comes away with a win, you know. Um, Everybody brace yourselves. Oklahoma City, you know, they beat Phoenix. A tragic win over Phoenix for them. Well, I mean, right. But like they, they, (laughs) the the only problem for me with the Oklahoma City thing is I don't know how many of these guys are going to be on their roster next well, year. <laughs> like, well, I, like like uh, Hollinger the other day was they they um, they 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 uh, uh, was Oliver Saar had like twenty four on twelve shots in that game, and then they cut him like the next day, and it was like, what are right. they doing? And I was like, well, I mean, we can't have that kind of win. Where they, they they moved out of the, you know, they're, they're in danger of not getting one of the mo- the most ping pong balls. And, yeah, know, what too are, good to tank, man. But like I, like players and coaches don't tank. Hoku triple double. Yeah, ah, stop, Poku. Just get get. Are you really this? Are you one of the Poku dudes? <laughs> no. I love Poku. I think create. He's creative. He may not be good, but he's creative. I mean, I mean I've never seen I mean, a guy I've, throw I've, a pass into the lower upper lower pole. I see him, and I have flashes of Yaroslav Korolev. So uh, that's that's just not really a, a a thing there. But just in general, though, like these teams, these young teams are really playing hard, and I think that's the kind of stuff. You want to see, especially like I'm excited for Detroit next season, whatever pick they get, whoever they draft, things like that, whatever moves they might make in the offseason. I think they have something kind of cooking there. Now, it doesn't mean like, oh, they're going to be in the playoffs next year or anything, but I like what they're building and excited for. It. And you're seeing it now because they're continuing to compete. And that goes such a long way in building the organization forward, right? Like the thing that bothers me about Oklahoma city, it's like, okay, you're doing this, but it's not Shea. It's not Gideon. They're injured and things like that. I understand that, you know, it's not uh, like they're not getting the value out of that in, in that instance. And that's the kind of stuff that maybe bothers me a little bit, but they got to win. Got to give them credit. They're playing hard there with all of that. Um, just to take some heat off of our guy, Fred Katz, let me ask a question. Uh, Brighter future, Detroit (laughs) Pistons or New York Knicks? Ooh, Pistons. They got Cade, man. And, and Cade's last month has been 
really spectacular. I think he's going to. He's he's keyed this resurgence for that, or surgeons, I should say. They they weren't anywhere before. So the interesting thing is, I uh, last week I did a kind of a rookie of the year podcast with. Uh, Kelsey Russo, uh, our our Cavs beat writer, and Blake Murphy, who uh, used to cover the Raptors for us, and now is up at, at TSN. You uh, did talking- a podcast with somebody else? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, 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 Mo, we can- no. Mo, Mo, uh, you've, yeah. Mo, you've been on that podcast. Um, <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> I didn't let other people know. No, just kidding. Okay. Uh, no, and and you know they kind of they respectfully argued about whether Scotty Barnes or Evan Mobley was Rookie of the Year. But when I asked like which of this year's rookies has the highest ceiling, they both were like, "Oh, Cade." And I think that's for as good as Mobley and and Scotty Barnes have been this year. I think that kind of speaks to the 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 latter half of the year that Cade Cunningham's had that even the rough start and not really in the rookie of the year conversation at all it still is like okay this guy's going to be all right it's still even amongst the people you would most expect to be like nah Evan Mobley just just a, a couple of numbers just to kind of give everybody sort of the the context before the All Star break forty four games played shot thirty nine point four percent from the field. After the All-Star break, 46.4. Like, that's just a massive leap. And the other thing that I really the, – the two numbers I really like in this besides those went from two free throw attempts a game to four. And that number still needs to go better, but that's, that's again, showing more like getting into the rim, attacking, going to the basket and things like that. And then going from 5.2 assists to 6.4 assists with a slight up in his turnover numbers from 3.5 to 3.8. Now, granted, I want those numbers to go down a lot, but, like, that's big. In that sense, for a rookie, the interesting thing on Cade is, or an interesting thing is, you're talking about those assist numbers, and there's still, when you watch them, there's three or four times a game where there's what would be a highlight pass for another team ends up in the hands of a player who's on Detroit, who isn't Sadiq Bay, and and you know, so there's a lot of these like just great reads, great passes, great vision don't get paid off in quite the same way as they will. Um, you know, when he's got more talent around him, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I know we're, we're pivoting to RJ Barrett here a little bit, but there was, when he was coming into the league, oh, I can't wait to see him with NBA spacing. And we're still waiting to see him with NBA spacing. Well, after his year at Oklahoma state, we were waiting to see Cade with NBA, you know, with, with, with actual talent around him and, and shooting around him. And we're kind of still waiting to see that, but I think we've seen enough to know it's going to look pretty good. So with Cade, you know, he comes into the season with the ankle injury. And anybody that's listened to me a long time knows I always think these guys, when they come back from these high ankle sprains, they're not right. It takes them months to get their their selves back together. And I think with Cade, as he got healthier and the guys around him learned to play with him, we've seen him take these little mini leaps throughout the season. And the guy controls his pace in a way that, I mean, Luca might be the only rookie I've seen that in recent years that have been able to do that. And and I don't want this to be like, yo, we don't like RJ Barrett. Only Seth doesn't. Um, the uh, RJ has been awesome in the second half of the season for the Knicks. Again, just look at his free throw numbers have shot up post all-star break. They're going from like four to eight and things like that. He's been great for them, but I don't think he's got the future, the ceiling that Cade Cunningham does. So like when I look at it, when you say who has the better future Knicks or, or Pistons, I go, the Pistons have the, Dude, like this is a dude that's going to be a number one option for them over the next few years. RJ's kind of more like a two, three option, which is nice. But I also look at the rest of that team. I go like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. So they got a lot more things to figure out. Whereas it feels like the Pistons, even though they've lost more games, 
have a better future going ahead. And that's. Well, it's a mailbag episode and, and we'll be back with the mailbag right after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, guys, been a while since we've done a mailbag and uh, put out the call a couple days ago. Wanted to give them time to get the questions in, and we got some really great questions. Um, But possibly no better question than this one. So I want to lead off with what I think is going to be the most interesting question. Uh, From Omar... Would you rather have to eat nothing but British food for the rest of your life or never watch basketball again? And I mean, this one, it's pretty easy. Go ahead, Mo. I mean, I'm eating British food. I hate it and I will regret it. But listen, they got fish and chips. I can work with that. Listen, mm-hmm. I'm not going to survive long because I'm going to eat the fish and chips all the time. So my arteries are going to get clogged. I will die sooner because of high cholesterol and things like that. I mean, I just had fish and chips the other day. Love them. They're great. It's delicious. Now, I mean, you know, like bangers, is that pork? Banger, <laughs> bangers is a sausage. Yeah. Okay. You know. then, then, I, just I, give me the mashed potatoes. I don't need the pork. Y'all, y'all take the bangers. I'll I'm sure take the can, mash. I'm sure you can do it with beef. You know, whatever. You know, I, British, they're weird. I think <laughs> I think you've hit on something, though, Mo, is that um, when you think of British food, you don't really think of food that's necessarily healthy. A lot of savory you know, meat pies and, uh, you know, full English breakfast with blood sausage. Now, I love that. I could eat that every day. Um, Do we, are we, does, I don't know. Can we say curry? Because like, you know, I, if you've ever been to London, that's what you're eating. You're eating curry. You're eating kebabs. Uh, like that's, it's a, that's those, a world those, food no, city. No, 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 no. That's where their colonialism comes in and their imperialism comes in. I'm not, as much as I want to eat that, I'm not allowing that to be considered British food. Okay. We can't just take it from another country and say, ah, that's ours now. No, they don't get, the, they don't get to claim that. <laughs> Let me let me rephrase this question then. What what would it take for you to give up basketball? Like, I mean, what is like the? I mean, obviously, we we don't want to go too extreme, but could you envision a scenario in which you just I don't want to watch basketball ever again? Elam ending. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes, folks. That Come was on. a joke. Yeah, that one's that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> that actually makes the games more fun. Uh, so, all right, Seth, British food, right? You can eat British uh, yeah. food. Um. I, I mean, we're. I mean, if we're if we're going Great Britain, like I, I I enjoy a haggis. So you know, let's. Okay, no, no, no. British is British, and you great, like, great we, we're not going Scottish. No, but great, no, no, no. But they're not British, and there is a distinction well, yeah, there. And no, like a few. We have Scottish <laughs> listeners, and I'm not. No, Scotland I'm stand is part up for of Great Britain. Britain. It is not part of England. There's a like if we're going to be doesn't so, matter. Yeah. Right? We're 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 gonna. I'm gonna split hairs on this one. I will be the judge on this. And no, we're we're well, not counting haggis. You got to go to the go to the. 
you know, the well, fine. Stuff. I'll go to the, I'll go to the haggis flavored chips from, from Walker's haggis flavored crisps. Ugh. Yeah, beef Wellington. You know, it's good. Um, all right, let, let's get to some basketball questions. Uh, who in the West, guys? Uh, this is from Joe Money, Joe Problems. Who in the West has a shot against Phoenix and why? Now, this is like obviously uh, this is a huge question. This is kind of the story of the season because Phoenix has been the best team all year. They were in the finals last year. I mean, they've maybe been the best or second best team in the league for two seasons now. You could even say if you want to go back to the bubble, that 8-0 run was the start of this whole thing. Who's going to beat Phoenix in the in the playoffs? Because I, I don't know if they're going to make the finals, but I expect them to. I don't. I think they're winning the championship. I mean, barring, that, and, barring an injury. Nobody has a shot, barring, right? Barring injury. I don't want to say nobody has a shot because it's the playoffs. And if we're answering the question and looking at the West, the Western Conference, I think Dallas is a little bit of an interesting team for them to have to play against. And part of it is because Luka can transcend to another level. And I think that makes it uh, uh, something where you're like, wow, that makes it really difficult. They can play five out and make it a question of saying like, all right, let's see if DeAndre, how DeAndre Ayton kind of handles that. And I think that makes things a little bit interesting. And then I also think it comes down to route in the in the in the playoffs. You know, seeding still up in the air. Dallas and Golden State are a half game uh, between each other, and that could flip every day until the end of the season. So, you know, if Dallas gets to finish in the third seed and doesn't have to play Phoenix until the conference finals, and they get potentially Memphis in the second round, that's pretty that's pretty good. I I, I think you could see them build that momentum. So. If I had to go with the dark horse to beat Phoenix, it would probably be Dallas more than anybody else. I think just just thinking about that matchup, kind of some of the the adjustments they've made to their offense that we've talked about before, where you know starting Luca off the ball and like running him the baseline and getting the ball in the post, that feels like a pretty good specifically in that matchup because that's the place where he's going to have the biggest advantage on Mikael Bridges is just with his sheer kind of bulk and size, and so if they're um, I think that's where kind of Dinwiddie probably is a, is a big help is just getting him the ball in that sort of advantageous spot. We've seen Mikhail Bridges have pretty good success against ball dominant scores, just like denying them the ball on the perimeter. And I don't know if you can do that against Luca if he's like running that little loop action or whatever to get the ball, you know, in the pinch post or something like that. And we're going to talk a lot about Memphis because everybody's asking questions about him. But I think Memphis has a real shot, too, because they can do the too big thing that was so successful for Milwaukee. The way that they rebound, I mean, they just punish teams. They've got more shots than any other team in the league by a couple hundred shots. I mean, they just get second attempts. They put pressure on you. And Jaron Jackson might win Defensive Player of the Year. He's been spectacular. And you can play him at the five and really space the floor out, and he can attack off the dribble. I mean, this is Memphis is really, you know, I, I've been on them all year, but they are playing some incredible ball, even without Ja. Yeah, I, I go ahead, Seth. Sorry. No, I think go I ahead, think Mo. I think their biggest advantage is playing big. Like I think that you know you um, you, you play you play Jackson at, at the five, then you're sort of matching like for like, and Phoenix's guys are better, kind of across the board. Not like you know each individual matchup, but like in total, um, I think if you play Adams, you know Adams and Aiton sort of battle it out, and then uh, you let Jackson kind of go to work on Jay Crowder. I think that's where that's where like like because because Phoenix doesn't really have a traditional power forward on their roster, 
um, I think that's the spot where Memphis could create an advantage. I think the the issue I have for Memphis is how they're going to deal with multiple ball handlers and how, you know, guys can constantly attack. It's Chris Paul and Devin Booker, you know, kind of going through it. And let's not sleep on just, you know, the Suns in general. Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson have been able to do stuff off the dribble and things like that and have improved in that area along those ways. And then you have, you know, when you look at it with Dallas, I mean, we talked about it. It's obviously Luca, but then you also have Spencer Dinwiddie who's balling and you have Jalen Brunson. It's not there. It's they have playing big is the answer for Memphis. Cause that is an extremely tough matchup. And I'm not saying anybody's walking through them, but I just think it's for me, I, I tend to worry about them defensively if they'll get enough stops at the end of games and things like that. And, and when you have to, all right, we're going to put Dylan Brooks on one guy. Great. That guy's covered. Okay. Unless Dylan Brooks fouls out. Cause he tends to make a lot of dumb fouls. Um, and then you're going to, then you got jaw guarding somebody. And, and let's just be honest, as great as jaw is, he hasn't been great one-on-one defensively. And they're going to hunt him. And, uh, yeah. They're going to hunt you know, him. And they're going to go, they're going to go on him, you know, and okay, we're going to put Bane there. You're going to, you're going to hide jaw. Well, against the Phoenix Suns, they're elite at going like, no, no, that guy. Oh, they're going to, okay, no, no. Now you come sit. Okay, no, no. Just get that dude up in the screen here, please. And then once they do, you're, you're, you're in trouble. And now it's Ja going up against Devin Booker or Chris Paul. Then it becomes hard. And that's where it gets a little bit difficult. And that's where I kind of have doubts about them, you know, about the Memphis Grizzlies and, and, and what I'm looking forward to them. This is going to be a 10 hour long podcast because these questions are so like great questions. I mean, this is really good. Okay. Uh, from Gavin Smith, do voters overvalue team ratings when determining how many players should represent a team for all NBA or all defense? So I'm assuming he means, you know, like best offense. Do we need to get a couple of guys from the Utah Jazz on all NBA? And I, I think that, that the answer is probably no. Well, so there's two different questions here. Right. One is so like how many play like that's that's something that comes up in like the all star. Well, they're this good. They should have two all stars. It's like, mm. but I think so that I like using that to like, you know, create quotas, I think is bad, um, especially on the defensive side, though. Um, I think that no, I think that's a, that's a, you have to start there because our like the, our measures of individual defense both from a metric standpoint and also from just like you're not watching every possession of every team and every game qualitatively at the level you'd need to. So we need to they need some sort of sorting mechanism. So the defensive player of the year probably comes from a top five defense. Like that's a you know, that's a that that's not a terrible heuristic. Now, if you're gonna argue for someone like Giannis or Rudy, then you say, well, you look at how Look at how they perform with them off the floor versus on. But even that is still looking at like the team's performance to to start that determination because we still can't directly kind of measure that. So I think I think it's it's certainly appropriate to start there when looking on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean that's a I I think that's just a starting point, you know, and I think you have to kind of look at it. It's in the same way, I talk about it as like a video guy, like analytics and video go hand in hand, right? Like it's part of the puzzle and it's an important piece there. I don't think team, I don't think people overvalue it. I think everybody has their own way of looking at how we decide these awards, all NBA and things like that, and just the value they have to the team. And so I think it's, it's, it's part of the puzzle is really my answer to it. I mean, I look at it, I definitely look at it on the on, look at it when they're on, look at them when they're off, look at it with the team and in general and all of those things. And 
you know, it's, I think it's an important thing to, an important tool to use. Maybe not perfect, but an important tool because this is what we have. All right, next question. And, and this is, we're starting a string here where people are asking about Memphis. And um, Southpaw asked, how many first round games could the Grizzlies win without Ja? Uh, which they've been fantastic this year. And a follow up question is from Ali how much does the fact that Memphis is so good without Ja? Put an asterisk on his performance from an analytics point of view. Um, does does this? I, I this is a two part question here. Number one, they've been fantastic without him. Does that change your opinion of Ja, or do you just see him as he elevates their ceiling? Because I, that's the way I look at it. I, I, this is a good team, well coached team, and then Ja just makes them better. So I don't hold it against them that they're good. Yeah, and and also, I mean, this is where you you start to look at on-off data and lineup data. You have to dig a little deeper, especially in the early part of the year when Memphis was so good without him. Um, opponents shot like twenty-eight percent above the break three with with him with, in that stretch of games that he missed or something like that. And that's you know, okay, he's been he's been rough defensively, but th- there's nothing that takes it from like team shooting like in the forties to in the twenties. That individual right. player, like that's not that's 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 some that's that's happenstance as much as anything else. So that's, that would that, only happen if he was setting the screens, yeah. like on his own guys, <laughs> right? Like that's like like, like leg, leg leg whipping Desmond Bain as he's trying to like navigate <laughs> right. a screen or something like that. So that's um, I so I think that that that's important context. Um, but no, I think I think the way you're the way you're phrasing it, Dave, is right. I think like you know regular season games, especially this part of the year where teams are just sort of maintaining, like having like rolling Tyus Jones out there and being able to ride him, that can that can keep you going. I think you get into the playoffs and a team it's like, oh, we're gonna scheme for Tyus Jones. Uh, you know, chops will be licked if we're if if uh, if, if that's like the the prep work someone's doing. So. I think that, you know, it, it, you can get away with it in March, not so much April, May. Yeah, I think, you know, to start with the fact that, like, you you need your star at the in the playoffs, plain and simple, right? Like, look at the run Toronto had with Kawhi Leonard, right? They had a better record when he didn't play games in that season. But you're going to argue with me that they win a championship without Kawhi Leonard? No, right? Like, that's a little bit wild there in that sense. And again... It's Seth touched on it with playoff scheming and things like that. Some nights you're, you're, you're lucky. You might just have a run where you're catching a lot of teams on really brutal runs schedule-wise, injuries, all those things, all that stuff. Not to say they haven't been fantastic in in that run there. The, real, the, the first question, though, is how many wins can they win in the first round without Ja? And that kind of comes down to matchups because if they play the Clippers and Ja isn't healthy, and by the way, we haven't heard a lot about what's going on with Jaw, and that's beginning to scare the crap out of me. I, I, some people are just like, "Oh, it's fine, isn't that?" Dude hasn't played for a few weeks. He ain't gonna play till the till the playoffs. Like that's gonna be a month. Like, and 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 we're talking. It's a knee injury. Like, yo, that's that's scary. And if you're playing the Clippers, who just got Paul George back, just got Norman Powell back, like, I would be concerned if I was Memphis. With that, and I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. So it comes down to matchups. I mean, they could probably win, you know, two games without John the first round. That's what I was thinking. If it's the Clippers, it, it goes six. I think they could beat Minnesota without Ja. I mean, it, it's at least it's it's closer, 
without job, but I think they could beat Minnesota. But if it's the Clippers, and it, I don't know, man, I think that's it's going to be the Clippers. That's scary. <laughs> it's scary, especially what if Kawhi? I mean, and we got a question about this later, so I don't want to. Just throw it I don't want to step on our own feet. Nah, well, I, yeah, I'll go there, but uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll circle back uh, with a with a Clippers question that involves Kawhi. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash MBA show 23 and get started. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. Uh, this is from friend of the program, Dr. Clam Medicine Mollusk, which, uh, you know, great name. Which preseason juggernaut in the play-in is more likely to make the conference finals, the Clippers or the Brooklyn Nets? And for the sake of this question, uh, we're going to bring back Kawhi, and we'll say he's 75-80% Kawhi. Okay? So, for you guys, I mean, you feel like the I, Brooklyn, I, I basically have no faith in. Um, zero. But the Clippers, man, if Kawhi comes back, Paul George has looked amazing so far. They've been so good, and they have a coaching advantage in a lot of matchups. I mean, I'm not saying that Ty Lue is necessarily a better coach than everyone they're going to face, but you know he's going to make adjustments that are going to make you think. And, I mean, he's a great coach. I I, uh, I will say that. It's debatable. I, think, I, was, no, I, I, was, yeah, I think he's the best coach in the NBA. I think I think he's I think he's, I yeah. think he's, he's second best coach. I think, I think Spo is still, but yeah. Spo is yeah. the best, yeah. But, like, yeah. So, um yeah, I no. love that we're going to have an argument about this no. uh, coaching thing. Yeah, but no, they, but they, really, they, I, I think that the Clippers, they're scary. I, here's is, the thing. Is Paul George the most underrated star in the NBA right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I was I was thinking about this the other day. Like we, we've been like, you know, is, there's a little bit of a like, would you rather have Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker? That's not particularly close to me. But like the answer is Paul George. I wouldn't rather have Donovan Mitchell. Or Devin, I'd rather have Paul George. And that's like. And it seems like, for whatever reason, he has sort of been no, almost forgotten reasons. on that level. Well, yeah. There are reasons. The dude yeah. needs to learn to shut up sometimes and not talk. Like, there are reasons. He's annoying sometimes. And 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 his, I've been a Clipper fan all my life when he was scheming to be a Laker. Like, let's, let's that's, that's where a lot of these things stem from. I'm not trying to say it's right or fair. I agree with you. He's the most underrated star. But that's where this comes from 
with Paul George and a lot of that stuff. But here's my thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer the question. I refuse because I do not think Kawhi Leonard's coming back. And if he does, I think it's an incredibly risky, risky proposition. Now, everybody that kind of keeps saying like Paul George came back, Norman Powell came back, they bring Kawhi, they have a chance. Kawhi at 75%, that team's not going to the finals, right? And then, and, and my thing is next year, that team fully healthy, they're a contender. They're a team that's right up there in the running to win the championship for next season. Why risk it? And the difference between Paul George and Norman Powell coming back versus Kawhi is they played this season. Kawhi Leonard didn't hasn't touched the court at all this season, and the first bit of action he's going to get is playoff action. That is a recipe for disaster. It might work out, but it is dangerous. You're playing with fire, and you're risking next season. And you know what? I think their window's bigger and more open next season than it is this season with the uh, 50%, 75% Kawhi Leonard who hasn't touched the court this season. Yeah, and if this team was stacked, and let's say it was like Kawhi can, Kawhi can go and, he's, and it's safe, but they're stacked. Let's say they had another star, right? And this is a team that, even without Kawhi, could have a shot at a title. All right, well, maybe you throw Kawhi out there later on in the playoffs like they could get there without him but I'm with you Mo I, I don't see I don't see the point in bringing him back at this point save it for next year you're going to be able, you're going to probably improve your roster even it's a really good team already yeah I'm with you um, but I, I, the Clippers are scary I, if I'm Memphis I don't want that series, and that's the one you're probably going to get. So you're sending Minnesota um, your scouting reports on the Clippers for the playing tournament. You're absolutely, like, yeah, okay. yeah, collusion. Let's collude. Uh, here, here's a good question, and uh, again, I'm going to combine a couple of questions here uh, from Sean W. and uh, Stevie Grieve, friend of the show. Um, which matchups would provide the biggest opportunity for an upset? And uh, Sean actually listed a few that he that he had in mind. Heat against the Cavs or Hornets, Hawks or Nets, so one of the play-in teams, whichever that winds up, or the Sixers against the Bulls or Raptors. Um, those are those are kind of the series I'm looking at. Uh, we were talking about the Bulls possibly being an upset if they were a top four team, and now I mean they've they've fallen off. So Lonzo's not playing. I don't now. think they're the, done. Yeah, I don't think the Bulls are going to win their first round series. So I, but the Sixers, if they get the Raptors, huh? I don't know, man. I, I'm not worried about the Heat dropping to to any of the the play in teams. I, I think that they're a way better team than that. Their playoff defense is gonna be spectacular. Uh but the Sixers, man, I would not want to play the Raptors. I want both. Uh, Sixers Raptors is a scary proposition for the Sixers. And listen, the Nets have been terrible. They've been bad. They can't get stops. The one team I feel like they can beat is Miami. So that's kind of, that's, <laughs> that's, funny. that's the one thing I look at going like, yo, if they're playing Miami in the first round, I go like, yo, I think they can beat Miami just because we've talked about it before. Miami's going to put targets out there for the, the nets to go at, you know, they're, you're going to get switches with Tyler Hero versus Kevin Durant. Good luck. <laughs> How many, I don't, Miami won't be able to score with Brooklyn. Maybe. Well, and also there's some like PJ Tucker has some injury stuff going on too, which uh, you know I thought the I thought the job he did on Durant in last year's playoffs was overstated, um, but it was still good. And then who else did they like? I you know do they want to if they put Jimmy Butler there? Does that that maybe work some? But then like your main offensive engine is chasing Durant around all game. It doesn't seem like a good idea. 
Um, what? How many points per game do the Sixers lose the non-Embiid minutes by against the Raptors? Oh, jeez. That's, I mean. Man. But we also. <laughs> that bench is going to get destroyed. The limit does not exist. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, can Embiid play 40 minutes a night? That's at the, I mean, at I the think pace that's the what Raptors it takes, play. Right? If he's if they're going to win a championship, he's going to have to. Yeah, like that's really the answer. Um, and and I think that's the challenge there for the Sixers is can he play forty minutes a night? How do you survive? And by the way, eight minutes is a lot of minutes in a playoff game. It's like a thousand the way it feels, right? Like just go well, back just to that. Look look at the first you know, four to six minutes of the first quarter of every game of that Hawks series last year where, you know, you had Dwight Howard was out there getting turnstiled. You know, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's such a risky proposition. And then you have the fact that Tybal might not be able to play in the games in Toronto. So you might not even have your best defender in games three and four or, or second best, depending how you want to rate him with Embiid, but you lose another perimeter defender for a team that doesn't have a lot of perimeter defenders. I mean, Nick Nurse versus Doc Rivers? Come on. Like, that's a problem. There's there's a lot of things there. Like, it's a scary proposition for the Sixers. Like, the Sixers might want to try to find their way into that third seed and get out of that playing Toronto. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a problem for them. And I think this is going to be a very it would be a very fascinating series. Okay, and the second part of this question, who will be the breakout players of the playoffs? I mean, I think last year, you know, Trey was really the guy. That, that stood out, and of course, this season hasn't gone like a lot of us thought it might for Atlanta, but um, pretty anybody, much how I mean, other of us thought it would go, but... Uh, well, yeah, you know, okay, fair enough. I mean, we, I, the, we knew the vibes it, it, were going to be boring. great. The regular season's boring. It is, yeah, and I know that's a problem. Yeah, when you go so, to the conference finals, just yeah, nothing else. Who's going to break out? Uh, who are you guys expecting to break out? I mean, obviously, Scotty Barnes is going to be a guy that that we're going to say a lot because the run that he's on, and he's a rookie. Um, but may, maybe, you know, maybe you guys have another guy in mind. Jaron Jackson. Let's see. I mean, he's, gonna, he's broken out this season. But I mean, this still, guy I mean, might be defense player yeah, of the year. But and, I mean, Memphis is still, you know, to the extent that they get – you know, broader discussion. It's still mostly jaw. And then maybe, man, how did all these teams miss on Desmond Bain? Right. Are sort of the, are sort of the things that kind of, and I think that, that, you know, Jaron Jackson, you know, uh, doing kind of, doing kind of a, a, like a, like on defense, doing almost like a, a, a Giannis impression. And you, you make your names in the playoffs, right? Like you have an unbelievable series and people will remember that. You know, and I think that's going to be the important thing for if Jaron Jackson is going to be the breakout star with all of those things. It's funny. I don't feel like there's going to necessarily be a breakout star. Maybe it's like Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson going nuts in the Phoenix Suns, but I I have no idea. And that's part of that's part of what makes the breakout star so much fun. Yeah, I like the I like the Jaron pick. Um, I, I think that if he can just continue to do what he's done all year. And the playoff games are going to be tighter, so he's going to play more than twenty-seven minutes a game, unless he, um, unless he gets <laughs> unless he fouls yeah. out, which you know he's been known to do. Okay, um, last question here uh, from friend of the show, John Lichtenstein. Is there anything Utah can do to actually make a run? I mean, there's been this has been a controversial week. They had an awful stretch of games, uh, but they also got a big win. Blew another lead, although not a huge one in the fourth quarter against Memphis the other night. Big win for them, them though, t- 
to come back, especially with all of the Donovan Mitchell eh, doesn't pass to Rudy Gobert noise that was out there. Um, so aside from passing to Rudy Gobert, which we know that they're not going to do, what can Utah do to make a run, guys? They were kind of done as a playoff team once Ingles got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's just there. there's nothing they can do really. Like, let's just be honest. We're First off, when this is the focus towards the end of the season, it's not a good vibe. You're having a team meeting like three games, four games left in the season. You're that stuff. Listen, when you're having team meetings this late in the season, that ain't sticking. You're in trouble, you know, and that's that's an issue. And I think the vibes around them aren't good. They've blown leads left and right. It's, you know, I the one thing I wanted to see from Utah all season was diversify a little bit, and they haven't done any of that. I think some of that's on Quinn. Some of that's on the roster. Rudy Gay wasn't healthy for most of the year. Then he came back, and they just continued to play Hassan Whiteside at center. They didn't find a small ball lineup. Ingles goes down. Just too many issues there. I just cannot see a run for them. I'm sorry, Utah, but I this team reminds me of the Lob City Clippers. Man, this team has gone stale. They need changes. It's it's kind of a, a, a rough state right there. I think the the changes, that's the big thing, Mo. Like, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Royce O'Neal is a, is a fine defender. I think Daniel House has done really well for them. It's not enough. The perimeter defense just isn't going to do it, and it's going to be the same story in the playoffs. And we, we know how this is going to look. We, we watch it happen all the time. I mean, the Clippers in that that big 25-point comeback, they did exactly the same thing that they've done. Utah gets out to a big lead, shooting like 60% from three in the first half, and then they drop off in the second, and the Clippers were executing well. They just weren't making shots, and then all of a sudden they got hot, and Utah couldn't stop them. Yeah. So they, unless, they, unless they're going to pick up you know, good perimeter defense – in the next where, two weeks, like, where, I, yeah, I, don't I mean, see where it. does in, in the playoff setting, like in that sort of situation, where does Utah go to get a get a good possession on offense? I mean, it's going to be a pick and roll with Rudy. I'm assuming, but, but it's going to be a pick and roll into an ISO into a pull up, right? Like that's and, and, or into a or try to split the trap and get caught and turn the ball over. That's see, that's the biggest problem for them in crunch time is all of the turnovers. It's just it's just frustrating because we they have the same problems over and over again and it's the definition of insanity they're not trying to fix those issues and it's you know it's one of those things where just stick with the system it'll work just do it harder just do it better it's like no it's not the system is the problem in in that stuff and and it's everything i highlighted i just can't see it for them i mean it's yeah. is it, I mean, well, that's a system bummer. slash system slash roster i mean again yeah you you, you know yeah you you can, you can, because Rudy Gobert, you can play Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich at the forwards and have a good defense in the regular season. And then you get to the playoffs and you can't do that anymore. And, you know, and then, and, and if you try to get away with that, away from that, then you get away from sort of the blender offense that's sort of has been your, your driving force. So they kind of lose their identity on both ends of the floor almost in, in playoff settings. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got one Lakers question, which I, I just think, I don't know. I, I got, let me, let me. <laughs> uh, well, here's the Lakers question. Um, this is from, uh, got a couple of cats on Twitter. Why are the Lakers, Mo? First of all, uh, let me thank Jeannie Buss for the opportunity first. All right, I had to stretch out here a little bit to just get loose yeah. here for a second, guys. I'm going to unload here for a moment. All right. It's arrogance. 
It's 100% total arrogance from the organization on down in every level. It's the whole idea of everybody's got to be part of the Laker family. You got to, st- everybody's got to be ties with the Laker family. Every GM they've had has been part of the Laker organization before they were not like come up, work their way up, former player into it. It's worked most of the time. You had some great guys in Jerry West, Mitch Kupchak, all put together great teams. And now you go bring in Magic Johnson. He didn't really want to do the job left, left basically at the end of the first season, was never really scouting games. I'm going to be in and out. Is that okay with you? You have Rob Palenka, who's just, he's in because he has ties to Kobe and the, the, the Kobe agents. I didn't know Rob. Rob Palenka. Sort of thing, and it, okay, he's part of the Laker family and all of this stuff. And then you have Kurt Rambis showing up out of nowhere. He's a people you trust, exactly. Going into coaches' meetings, saying, "Why aren't you playing DeAndre Jordan more?" It's along those lines. I got allies. I got friends. I everywhere. got allies. It's a guy whose win percentage is like twelve in the as a coach, and has ridden the coattails of everybody else to win championships. Which, by the way, I would like to ride coattails to win a championship more too. Power. The bus brother. The bus brother. Oh, I sound down. I sound okay. Would you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. But I'm not going to be put in charge of a team. It's all of those things. It comes down to arrogance of, hey, we are the Lakers. Only the Lakers know how to fix these things. No. Jeannie Buss needs to clean house. And I feel bad. She's got to fire Vogel. I'm going to keep that private. But she's got to fire Polink. They'll finish out the season with pride. But she's got to get rid of Rambus. And uh, like I said, bring integrity to our process. You can't have them anywhere near. Need to go look for an actual GM or team president that has a track record in history that does not have ties to the Los Angeles Lakers. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I said I didn't mind doing that because they're good guys, but also I sat them down and said, hey, listen, I'm going to really just help you guys that. mature and get better. I'll have another. And really uh, so I took that role as Did well. Did you ask Pop that question? Because they felt huh? they should have been, you know, in powerful positions, Bob? whether that's the general manager or the president, right? And so uh, you got to start going after, try to go after a guy, throw a ton of money at Bobby Webster in, in Toronto. See if you can pull Sam Presti away from the million draft picks that he has. I don't know if you can, but those are the, you got to go after somebody and let them make all the decisions after that. Look at the list of coaches that they've had for so many years. Right? Luke Walton, Byron Scott, like former Laker. Great. Okay. Like, let's get them in. They know how to fix it. It's the arrogance of it. And I'm an expert in this only because this is exactly what USC football did for so many years and we've been trash. But now we're coming up. But this is the thing for the Lakers. It starts with their arrogance. They got to check themselves now and they got to look at themselves and say, how are we going to really get going? Because I'm going to be honest, it's going to be really bad for the next couple of years. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, did Doc Rivers, he never played for the Lakers, right? I, Mo's making a strong argument for Doc Rivers to come to L.A. next year, I, I think. Mean, um, was that the intention? <laughs> did you ask Pop that question? All right. Yeah. Uh, Seth, you got anything on the Lakers? Um, is Anthony Davis that dude? No. I don't no, think so. That's, he, you know, I, it's, you know, the, I, think, I think asterisk talk around championships is dumb. However... Uh, someone tweeted this the other day that like Anthony Davis has shot, and I had to look it up. Anthony Davis is shooting like eighteen percent from three this year. 
And if you look at, at such a big part of why they won that bubble championship is Anthony Davis shot like high 30s, low 40s on mid on, on jumpers, mid-range and out, including threes. And that's so out of keeping with any other part of his career. But that's, you know, that so our opinion of it is the guy who's hitting like the game winning three in that game against Denver. And he's he's was never that guy that that like isolation, get on the wing, shoot a jumper, score before and hasn't been since. And with LeBron aging into a different part of his career, they would need that for this iteration of the team to do anything. And he's not that guy. Uh, the one thing I'll say about the asterisks because everybody likes to do that and everybody I don't like I'm, I don't, no, no, I don't actually want to yeah you're not you're not doing that but I just for those that are like yeah the Laker championship didn't count because we know how that's how arguments happen nowadays is we hijack the point from somebody else and do it to make mm-hmm. it seem like something completely different but the thing is everybody was shooting ridiculous in that bubble it was an unbelievable thing you are 100% right I do not think AD was is that dude I thought he was when he first got to LA but now watching him up close I don't see it I don't see it I don't think he's that dude and everything that we saw there and all of that but I just want to kind of defend the the bubble the concept of the the bubble is everybody shot ridiculously well it was the best shooting we've ever seen you know why the guys were rested every night. They weren't flying in every places. Their arena was the same arena every night. There were a lot of factors that went into all of that, but that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day, and I'm still tired after my Laker rant. Yeah, he hasn't been the same guy physically. I mean, just, I mean, performance or whatever, but physically, like, he's just not looked as good. He's been hurt a lot since the bubble. I mean, he was hurt. He was hurt before, and I mean, it's just, I think part of the job is, like, you actually have to be out there playing. You know, and, and when you're in the bubble, like he, it was a controlled environment, just like you just said, Mo. I think it was pretty easy for him to stay in top shape, and it's proven harder for him for large portions of his Stop career. Falling I mean, down you know, so much, gets dinged up a lot. Yeah, and it, it is what it is. I mean, Magic Johnson going on TV maybe doesn't help that situation much, but I can at least I get it. I mean, we need to stop with this for Magic. One, he had the chance to do the job and literally walked out on the team like during a pregame press conference, right? And without telling Incredible. anybody. And then, Incredible. And then the quitting. stuff he's talking about in the, the, the interview, none of that was possible in the way he was talking about <laughs> it. None of it made sense. So we just got to stop with this with Magic. Listen, Magic, just tweet out your your, your 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 plainly obvious tweets or whatever of like, hey, they played a great game, blah, blah, blah type stuff. But just stop with the revisionist history because you weren't that good. You basically gave away Ivisa Zubac for nothing to the Clippers. Like they were shocked when you called. All right, Mo's on yeah, one, and this like, is a great coming, place coming to end Coming up in hour Magic, two, Mo, uh, Mo gives us <laughs> Magic Johnson. <laughs> anybody can, get, a, Johnson. Anybody can a, get hit. That's the place to end it. <laughs> that's going to do it for this week, folks. Uh, don't forget, we got the Slam and Jam coming up Saturday morning. Uh, keep it locked into the Athletic NBA show. Playoffs coming soon. We got Ben Taylor next week. We're going to do our Nerder Awards the way we do it. And uh, I'm going to be on Ben Taylor's Thinking Basketball next week to do our preview because, you know, we have to preview all the things together. So until then, for Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. Thank you very much for listening I to the Athletic NBA show. I didn't improve that, guys. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes that you despise the same old lies you heard the night before. And though it's just a night to you, for me, true, never seems so right before.
clever lines to say to make the meaning come through But then I think I'll wait until the evening gets late and I'm alone with you The time is right, your perfume fills my hair, the stars get red and all the nights so blue And spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love